We're going to do part two of the Hanukkah dedication and our heavenly regeneration. John chapter 10, please. We have our brother from <clears throat> Dublin coming next week, Pastor Tommy Hanrahan. And we're looking forward to it. I have to talk to him, just make sure he's going to do all day. I take it he's doing all day. I'll talk to him again. He knows he's definitely doing the night, but I think he's going to do the day too, but I'll talk to him. And I'm sure we're in for a real blessing next Lord's Day morning and evening. John chapter 10, we're going to read a couple of verses, and then we'll come back to it. Verse 22. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication. And it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask you, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and teach us and lead us in your word this morning. Bless those, Lord, who aren't with us this morning, who are away at this holiday time. Bless the families that are away, Father, and the parents. We pray, Father, also that you'd bless the team that are away to Poland and coming back today, Laura, and the team coming, give them journeying, traveling mercies. Pray for Rami, who's away preaching God's word today, Lord, that you'd minister through him and bless him as he preaches the unsearchable riches of Christ. And now, Lord, for those who are sickly among us and cannot be here for one reason or another, we pray, Lord, that you would help them and speak to them, deal with them. And Lord, that you would Heal where healing is needed and strengthen where strength is needed. Bless them and encourage them, we pray. Father, we love you. Bless your people here this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we looked at last week, and I don't want to do a big uh, overview of it, a recap. But the Lord Jesus is at the Feast of Hanukkah. Goes to the temple in Jerusalem. He's at the Feast of Hanukkah around about December, almost around Christmas time, around that sort of time. He's already been at the Feast of Tabernacles. We looked at it last week in John 7. Promised the coming of the Spirit. Spoke of the water to drink, uh, meaning the Holy Spirit. Now he's here and he's, remember Hanukkah was when Antiochus Epiphanes IV, the Syrian king, was from the uh, the Hasmonean family, but the, he was from the, uh, the Seleucid Empire, which is a fourth of the, of the old Greek, Alexander the Grecian, Greek and his empire, pardon me. And he comes and he uh, takes over Jerusalem, uh, slays many, uh, takes many away captive, many are injured, thousands of them. And of course, at the Judas Mac- Mac- Maccabeus, he, he rises up. And when he rises up, he uh, pushes the armies out and he becomes a famous man uh, in Jerusalem and that surrounding area at that time. And of course, as I said, the book of Maccabees are in the Apocrypha today, but we don't class them as inspired. Nevertheless, um, the three years there was persecution in Jerusalem. The temple was used as an altar of Zeus. The altar was turned into a place of worship for Zeus. And also, uh, pigs were sacrificed on that altar. Of course, the abominable animal to Israel. And we know that all of this happened. They're now disposed. The temple was cleansed. 
And so there was one jar of oil. That's important. There was one jar of oil. And it was only the last one day, but it lasted eight days. Now the menorah, the seven-branch golden candlestick, which was in the tabernacle in the wilderness, then the seven-branch golden candlestick. Actually, it said that Solomon had made a few of these to replace. But the seven-branch golden candlestick, three here, three there, and the one in the middle, should usually have a little turn into the face of the inside where it speaks of those looking towards the greater light. It is removed at Hanukkah and replaced with a nine-branch. That is for the one jar of oil that was the last for one day lasted for eight days. So instead of three and three and one in the middle, seven, you had four and four and one in the middle, which was nine. And then it was replaced again afterwards. And so it was to remind them of the eight days that the oil lasted for in the temple. The Lord Jesus, when he sent uh, the scriptures we looked at last week, he's not to sin for the sake of sin. He's not just saying, I am the light of the world for the sake of sin. Look at me, I'm the light of the world. He's actually saying this light in the tabernacle or the temple, this Hanukkah festival near winter, or it is winter, he says, dark outside, you're spiritually dark inside. I'm the light of the world, he's saying. Okay, not that, not the temple. I'm the light of the world. Then he says later on, we'll not go through it all because it takes too long. He says, while I am in the world, he says. Okay, so the first time he says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Then later he says, I, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Notice while I am in the world. Then when he dies, he's resurrected and he sends the glory. Before he dies, he's, he's not in the world. So who's the light of the world? He says, before he goes, ye are the light of the world. It's not in another rebuild. So he says, it's not that temple. It's not in the temple in Jerusalem. It's not in another rebuilt temple either. He's saying, I'm the light of the world. Then he says, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Then he says, ye are the light of the world to his disciples. And he sends into glory. So now as believers, the disciples are the light of the world. So the light is in each and every one of us. We looked at that. Then we looked at the word temple because it's in the temple. And I want to run through this again um, a bit more detail because it might have been a little confusion, confusing for a couple. For example, um, he says, uh, it says in Matthew 4 and 5, and I'll just quickly run over these. We touched on these last week, and I'll not go on through all of them, but just to refresh you. It says, Then the devil taketh him, the Lord Jesus, that is, up into the holy city and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. Remember, the temple here is the word Hiron, Hiron, and it means the whole precinct of the temple. It means the stone and the wood and the, and the gold and whatever else is in the temple, the actual building like we're in this building. So when we say we go to church, we are the church, but what we mean is we go to this building as the church. Does that make sense? So the idea of this, if you can keep that in mind now, so the outer precincts of that great big temple, massive edifice, uh, that, that is the Hiron, all the whole complete precincts. When we read in John chapter 10 in our reading and verse 23, Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. He walked in the Hiron, in the precincts of Solomon's porch. And so he walked in parts of the outskirts of the temple, certain areas of the temple. Okay, everybody okay with that? Then again, let me just run through some of these. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 6. It says, but I say unto you that in this place is one greater than the temple, he said. 
Jesus is saying, you're looking at this temple, but there's one greater, speaking of himself. Jesus is greater than the temple, the worship, the sacrifice, and everything in it. And then, of course, we looked at, we looked at, uh, at Matthew 23, verse 16. It says, Woe unto ye blind guides which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, notice, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold? Which is better, the gold or the temple that sanctifies it? Verse 21 of Matthew 23. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth in it. Now notice here. The word dwelleth is, is a word that means to press down as if with dominance to occupy a house or a home. The word temple, this edifice, remember? Remember the word? It means the whole building. Now notice this. It also comes into a place here where the word temple is neos or neos. Okay? And it means, so you have the temple, the precincts of it, and then in the middle of it, you have that place is called the Holy of Holies, where the high priest alone would go. Jesus was never in there, never went there. The high priest of Israel would go in there and offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. So that little room alone, just that little room is called the Holy of Holies. And that's what's real, it's called the Naos, the temple. It's called the temple, but it's called the Naos. Our English word just doesn't really seem to do it justice because the whole edifice is the temple. But that little bit was called the temple in scripture too, but the Greek word is Naos, holy of holies. Everyone with me okay? So no, notice this. We finished here last week. So God was to come down into that temple. He was to dwell there. And what really Jesus was saying, what is greater... God who comes to the naos and, or the gold, because they were looking more at the building. They were worshipping more the building than they were the God of the building, you know. Notice this. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19. Colossians 1 verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Okay? Please the Father that in him, Jesus, should all fullness dwell. The, the word here for dwell is the exact same of Matthew 23 and verse 21. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him. Notice that dwelleth therein. The word dwelleth, uh, it's, it's katoi eoko, something like that. And so that dominance where God would come down in the temple, but not the temple, but the inner sanctuary, the holy of holies, the most holy, the holiest of all, where the high priest owned God would come down there in power. Now Paul takes it and he reverts it to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying, it pleased the Father that in this one should all fullness come down and dwell. Living. Does that make sense to you? You okay? So notice this. Colossians 2 and verse 9. For in him, in the Lord Jesus Christ, dwelleth, there's the word again, it means to occupy as a house, to reside, to inhabit, with dominance, 
a pressing downward. For in him the Lord Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in Christ. So the fullness of the Godhead resides and dwells in Christ. And by the way, the word Godhead here is a word, theotes. If you want an English spelling, T-H-E-O as in theology. And tes as T-H-E. And it means in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead or of deity, it means. Of deity. Or it actually gives the idea all the fullness of the state of being God. Of the state of being God. Now people are trying to teach nowadays that Jesus, when he was on the cross, God left him. As in, he no more was God. Or others go back further and say when he walked as a man on the earth, he was no longer God. That he left. It's called the kenosis theory. He left. That isn't true because here Paul tells us he was completely and fully God and he was always in the state. That means in his character, in his essence, in his nature, God. On the cross, he was God. On the cross, he was God. Notice this. When you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17. Ephesians 3 verse 17, reading onward. Paul says that Christ may dwell. Here's this word now. I'm bringing you somewhere here because remember, Jesus is the light of the world. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Then he says, ye are the light of the world. Then the temple, we're looking at the temple. And he, God dwelt in the temple, then he dwells in Jesus. Then that means it comes to us, doesn't it? We're going to piece this together. That Christ may dwell, there's that word again, in your hearts by faith, that being rooted and grounded in love, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and depth and height, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Notice here uh, the breadth, the length, the depth, the height. It's, it's the plethos, the mikos, the bathos, and hypsos. That's what it is. What it really means is this. The plethos suggests something to a great extent. Uh, the, the, the mikos is the root for it is makros, which means far and long is the love of Christ. To a great extent, either way, is the love of Christ. Bathos for the depth is a profound depth like no other depth. And hypsos for height, well, you can find it mentioned again uh, write it down, we haven't time to look at it Revelation 21 verse 16 the city of God and it's 12,000 uh, furlongs you know, as, as long as it's broad that isn't a real measurement by the way that gives the idea of uh, it's, it means something in the scripture for 12 is a number of government it's perfect law, perfect word, perfect government perfect company, 12, 12 tribes and it's perfection uh, there's a lot I'll go into it maybe some other time and tell you about it. But you see the height and the depth gives you an idea of the love of Christ for you. You understand that Paul's saying here, if you can know the love of Christ for you and try and understand what it is that Christ would dwell in your hearts. Matthew 23 then, if you'll turn with me please. Bringing you somewhere, I promise. Matthew chapter 23. 
And let's just read verse 16. Notice what the Lord Jesus says as he upbraids the Pharisees and the scribes. Woe unto you, verse 16. Woe unto you, you blind guides would say, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whoso shall swear by the gold of the temple, he's a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold, and whosoever shall swear by the altar, notice the altar, it is nothing, but whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth therein. The building and its grandeur. Notice, this is what the Lord means. The building on its grandeur is just a, a hollow shell. That's what Christ was saying. It's a hollow shell without God, without the presence of God. Now, when I bring you further here, I'll give you the picture now, and you'll see it come to pass. The light in the temple. Jesus is walking at Hanukkah with this extra light, the nine branch. Now he's saying, I'm the light of the world. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Ye are the light of the world, and he's away. He's ascended up to heaven. Now I notice here, he talks then about the building, the great big temple. He says, that temple is a hollow shell. That's what he's saying. Notice what he says here, verse 21. Whoso sweareth by the temple, that is, the naos. So he's talking about the place where God would dwell. In the temple, that little room, the Holy of Holies. Sweareth by him that dwells in it. Do want to lose this here? I want you to get this. So remember, the temple, the Heron, temple, the Heron, is the precincts. The naos is the Holy of Holies inside that come down. But it's called temple sometimes, just for our English language. But it's where God would come down and where the high priest would minister and where the seven branch golden candlestick was. Out there in front of it is the altar where the blood would be carried into it. And you have the, the Ark of the Covenant there and, and so on and so on. Okay? That is the naos. God would come and dwell there. Jesus is saying, this place is empty without God. This place is empty without God. In other words, the gold was valued more than God was. They valued the gold more than they valued God. Something for us to learn there. Do we value things more than God? Do we value things more than God? The offering was of more importance to them than the altar. And you might say, well, surely uh, that must be right. That's not the right thinking here. The offering was more than the altar. This is what is meant. If there was no altar for a sacrifice, there would be no sacrifice at all, and the offering would be null and void. For example, if the Lord Jesus Christ came and didn't die on the altar of the cross, would you and I still be saved? No. You see where he's coming from? That altar, he says, is there for the sacrifice. He says, but if there's no altar, there's no sacrifice. If there's no cross, 
There's no sacrifice. You see where he's bringing them? The building in his grandeur was a holy, a hollow, pardon me, shell without God and glory. And the offering is a mere religious ritual without the altar. And there would be no meeting place anywhere between God and man. That little temple, the inner sanctuary, the naos where God came, that's the only place in the whole of earth that God would meet with man. Just there. Now it's gone. So where does God meet with man? In Christ. Where is the altar for God to have the sacrifice unto him? In Christ. Can we see it now? Can you turn with me to uh, John chapter 2? John chapter 2. And then, let's just look at verse 19. Let's go to 18. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and wilt thou rear it up in three days? But he spake of the temple of his body. Now notice this. We have to dig into this a little bit. In Matthew 26, if you'll turn with me, more like a Bible study this morning. Matthew chapter 26. Let your eye run down to verse 61. This is the accusations made against the Lord Jesus. And said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. He was sort of telling the truth, wasn't he? Because we just read it that Jesus says, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. They're taking it, destroy this temple in three days. How can this be? 46 years was this thing in building. Notice here, the word temple, again, needs to be understood. In John 2 19, destroy this temple in three days I will raise it up. Jesus used the word naos. So remember, here on is the building. The naos is the holy of holies, where the candlestick was and all that, all the, where the high priest went to in the Ark of the Covenant. And he went in alone. The high priest went in once alone once a year, pardon me. Uh, and, and the blood offering was made. That's the naos, the holy of holies, the holy place. So Jesus said, destroy this temple. What he said was, destroy this naos. So they're rightly thinking, he's going to destroy the holy place. But Jesus talked about his. So where's the naos? He said, destroy this temple. Where does the fullness of God dwell? In his body. You with me? He's saying that God will not come down here in glory. God hasn't been here for quite some time. God will not come down in glory. You want to know God's glory? You want to know God's presence? You want to see God's fullness? He says, here's the temple here. 
destroy this temple, talking of his body, in three days I'll raise it up again. See, see how the word matters when we dissect the word? So notice here, now, the temple, so the light. I am the light. As long as I am in the world, I am the light. Ye are the light of the world. The temple. I am the temple where God dwells. Right? And we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. The apostle writes to the church, to the ecclesia. Know ye not that your body is the what? What does it say? Shout, shout it out, would you? The temple. of the Holy Ghost. Now is the Holy Ghost God? Yes. Is the Holy Ghost the fullness of God? Yes. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? See the word there for temple. Do you know what it is? Neos. Neos. So the light changes. The temple has changed. Collective people here who are saved, we are called the body of Christ. The temple of Of the Holy Ghost. We are the light of the world. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost where he dwelleth. (laughs) That's why Jesus could say, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. How can he leave you since he's God and he dwells in his temple? You take that with you, will you? How can he leave you when he dwells in your body? You're his temple. And again, when we come together, we are fitly framed together. Lively or living stones as the temple was built of stone. We are living stones built together to make a holy habitation for the Lord. Can you see that's all his doing? Isn't it mighty? So if this building here was the hero on the, the temple precincts, we come to church, as we would say, the building. But we are the church, the ecclesia, the called out. Isn't that right? Well, since we're the ecclesia, so we're the holy of holies inside the building. Like it was in the temple. Does that make sense? Let me go on a little bit more. Revelation 21 and verse 22. Revelation 21, verse 22. John writes, And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Now it changes again. So here is kingdom age. Here is the the eternal ages, age of the ages, of whatever way we can put it. Here's eternity. There's no temple whatsoever. John saw no temple, but rather the temple changes that God and the Lamb, that's the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, are the temple. 
How does it change again? Let me put it like this. In the Old Testament, God, pardon me, in the Old Testament, man builds a temple for God. In the new covenant age where we are in now, God builds a temple out of us for himself. And in the new age to come, God is the temple for his people. And there's no son because why? He's not just saying that light represents me or the, the holy anointing oil represents me, that I'm the light of the world. I, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Now you're the light of the world. He's not saying that. I'm the light. And there's no light here. There's no sun as it were. There's no need for it. Why? Because the Lord himself is the light. <laughs> the temple... I'm going to say this, and I don't mean to offend anyone. God's been building the third temple for 2,000 years. We are it. The temple comes to us. He lives in us. And when we get to glory, we live in him. How does that work? I don't know. I honestly don't know. But all I know is he'll be... It's like Patrick's prayer. God before me, behind me, above me, beneath me, around me, and all that sort of stuff. He's, he's the all-encompassing, full-orb deity of God. So, it was the feast, John 10 and 22. I'm going to wrap this up and I just get home in another few minutes. It was the feast of Hanukkah, Remember the miracle of the oil, feast of the dedication. So they dedicated the temple after Antiochus Epiphanes, three years of uh, treacherous reign over them. So they cleanse the temple, they dedicate it, and there's only one jar of oil, but it lasts for eight days. Eight in scripture, eight days out of one jar. One is the number of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Isn't that right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Or hear, the Lord or Yahweh or Jehovah or Elohim is one Jehovah. And his name is one. Call him Jesus. Yahshua. Notice this. So one, the number eight is important. Eight means new beginning. The temple was having a new beginning at that time. When Christ comes, it was finished and there would be a new beginning. But notice this. It means eternity. You know, number eight, it doesn't end. You, you know, I remember when I was a wee boy, my daddy got me a Skelectrix for Christmas. I used to watch the cars flying around. Well, half the times they flew off and you had to go and get them and stick them back on again. But the number, figure eight was to keep them going. You just watch them going around. It's the same idea. There are eight steps in Genesis chapter 1 of creation. On God said, let there be. Eight, it was mentioned this morning, was the eighth day was the circumcision of the flesh for an Israelite boy. There were eight people on the ark. Eighth day, doubting Thomas saw the risen Savior. And eight disciples... Pardon me, on the eighth day, the disciples broke bread. That is the first day of the week. So you have the Sabbath, seventh, should be one again. But if you count the straights, eighth day, 
he broke bread. The first day of the week. So it means something in scripture. And what happened was the priest went into the temple. The high priest came and he lit from the first, from the, the middle uh, lamp. And he lights from the outside and he lights off them. And there were eight of them and the one in the middle was nine. Notice this. They needed miracle oil, one jar for eight deaths. What about the light of the world that he calls you? What about the new temple where he dwells in you? What about the high priest, our high priest now, the true, real, great high priest of Israel? What about him? Where is he? He's passed through the heavens, the veil of the curtain. He's a, he stands before the Father in heaven and he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle. Now listen. I'll touch on this some other time, but I've told you before. There are eight fruit of the Spirit. And there are eight mentioned gifts. 1 Corinthians 12. Fruit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Pardon me, eight, nine, pardon me, meekness, temperance. I said eight, nine. Meekness and temperance. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness and temperance. There's nine. I'm thinking of the two on each side. There's nine. There's nine gifts of the Holy Ghost as well. Now, everyone emphasizes how we should be seeking to live the fruit of the Spirit. We all agree? What about the gifts of the Holy Ghost on the other side? What about the Holy Spirit? And what happens? The high priest went into the holy place where that... Uh, menorah was and whenever he went in ministered around the tabernacle with the blood and notice when he went in he had a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate the whole way around possibly 18 of them one of nine of each and as he moved his garments would flow as he ministered in the temple with the blood over the Ark of the Covenant, under the mercy seat. And as he ministered, the bell and the pomegranates would have hit together and made a sound. They stood outside the field curtain and they would have listened. Is the high priest still alive? I can hear the sound coming from the holy place. A wee while later, is the high priest still alive? Hold on. I can hear a sound from the holy place you hear the sound of the bell and the pomegranate the fruit and the gifts of the spirit how do you know our high priest is still alive because in the holy place here now the fruit of the spirit and the gifts of the holy ghost and when a church hasn't got the gifts of the holy ghost do you know what's happening it's trying to fly with one wing Or if it's all spiritual gifts and no fruit, it's trying to fly with one ring. C-E-T. Let's seek God to walk right before him that we might have the fruit of the Spirit and every gift that he affords to give us that we'll soar and fly with both wings going like the dove coming down at his baptism. 
going to finish here. What about the oil? What about the oil? It's easy. I'm going to mention it again tonight. Acts chapter 2, he poured out the Holy Ghost. The holy oil was poured out upon the church. The disciples that were there assembled 120 of them in the upper room. Cloven tongues came like as of fire and lit the lamp. Lit the lamp that would burn bright. The new temple, the new lamp. The cloven tongues, revelations, and this one, I think it's verse 4 or 5. Unto him that have loved us and washed us from our own sins and his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Making his kings and priests, priests in the temple, kings to rule. That's what he's doing. Can you see the difference? No, Jesus is there in the darkness, the winter's outside, and the wind and the rain was blowing. He walks around by Solomon's porch, not in the holy place. He says, this is what this feast is. He says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not, whether it's in the temple or outside of it, shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So there we go. We'll stop there. Judah had written there. When I was writing that, I actually went into the rest of the chapter and I'd written on a lot of pages. I might bring it some other time, but he says, he starts talking about his sheep. You read it, about his people, his sheep. I started writing about, he comes, not only lights, he changes us for the new temple, makes the temple out of us, but through us he calls his sheep through the preaching of the word and the Holy Ghost. And what he does, he calls his sheep through the preaching of the word and the Holy Ghost, and I have it all written down. Maybe bring us some other time, but the election of his sheep, the predestination of his own. It's in that chapter. In that chapter. Listen, he doesn't say, he says, you know what he says to the, the Jewish leaders there? He says, You are not off my sheep, so you didn't believe. He didn't say, he didn't say you didn't believe, so you're not off my sheep. Notice that? Now get it. He didn't say, you didn't believe, so you're not my sheep. He says, you're not my sheep, so you don't believe. That's what he said. You're not my sheep, so you don't believe. You can't. It's not not mighty, isn't it? Read it when you go home to see yourself. And sometime with a full study on it, I wrote while I was writing it. I'll bring it some other time to you as my look at it. May God bless his word to us this morning.